What you want more than anything is you want to meet people with different experiences. And I've always sort of found you would see things that you would not automatically have come across. Hello and welcome to the Parliamentary Review podcast, the podcast that puts leadership in focus. I'm Scott Challoner, and I'm here to introduce your podcast host today, Jonathan White, who each week is joined by directors, CEOs, CFOs, government ministers, chairmen, presidents, and maybe one day even the president of the United States. That is, if he is still the president by then. The aim is to discover who these people are who get up every morning and make the world work. Everything is up for discussion, including the future of British trade deals, to government reforms, to the Court of Appeals, and of course, the innovation and success in the country that makes it all worthwhile in the end. We also discuss their take on the current economic and political state of the country, and later on, you'll have the chance to hear Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Lord Pickles, the former Secretary of State for Communities and Local Government, ex-chairman of the Conservative Party, and of course, current co-chairman of the Parliamentary Review. But for now, Jonathan joins Norman Hudson, chairman of Rooflink Industrial and Commercial Limited. Rooflink provides industrial and commercial cladding and roofing and is based in Waltham Abbey, Essex. Hudson and Rooflink have made it a mission statement to dispel the industry's negative ingrained image and establish a positive reputation for care and responsibility. Without further ado, I hand you over to Jonathan White and Norman Hudson in Westminster. Norman, welcome. Oh, thank you very much. No, thank you, Norman, for joining us um, today. And I thought it might be uh, a wonderful place to start. It's been uh, a while since... Uh, Rooflink's been in uh, the review. I think the listeners would love to know um, how you all are and how business is going. A little bit quiet at the moment. We've been um, a little bit lacking in orders. I think everybody was holding back to see what was going to happen with Brexit. Yes, Um, and I'm glad you mention the B word before I did, uh, because I think, well, that's certainly something I think we'll be talking about in a little more detail later, because there's an awful lot to say. And it's interesting you say that, obviously, because um, that's being echoed by, I think, so many uh, uh, businesses up and down the country. The great hope, I think, is that once people really know what's going to happen, we won't have long now, um, that, that... that release will be there. Uh, uh, you know, it's interesting, isn't it? It's not that uh, investment's gone elsewhere. It's not people are spending things, uh, their money on other things. It's just sat there. So uh, that's at least, I think, some optimism on that front. Um, now, the work you do at Rooflink, obviously, is technically very skilled and in terms of structural safety, exceptionally important. Now, um Given you work across so many different sectors, Norman, how how have you managed over the years to maintain such you know high standards? Well, because I think we appreciate that we're working in one of the most dangerous industries because all of our work is at high level, and um, uh, over the last couple of years, about a quarter of the fatal and life changing industries. Uh, injuries have been caused through falls and heights, and we are very conscious of yeah, being very conscious of the fact that 
we've got responsibilities. Oh, without a doubt. Um, and uh, I think of your your record speaks for itself. We could list all the uh, awards at the firm as uh, one, but we just don't have time. But I, I would like to point out, obviously, that you've, for example, received the Royal Society for Protection of Accidents Gold Award for 16 years running. And I just don't think... Uh, uh, it, it, we can stress how important it is that that commitment to safety um, uh, it, it is 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 key to what you do. Yes, it is. Yep. Uh, yes. You know, if somebody has an accident, not just the person that has the accident, it, it ripples out to their family, their children, and uh, this is why we feel we've got such a, a, a need, need to be so keen on it. Oh, without a doubt. Um, and especially perhaps in uh, uh, your industry, it, perhaps it's it's certainly less bad than it used to be, but there was a reputation where uh, uh, a couple of bad apples in, in, in the sector spoiling it for the others. And I know that you've spent so much of your career and running the business in making sure that uh, those standards are raised across the board. We try very hard. In fact, one of our directors works um, is the um, chairman of one of the safety committees. So, uh... excellent. Um, and uh, perhaps I could ask uh, you know the, the the business now established. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, Norman, but 2001, if that's right. That's correct. Yeah. So you know, very nearly 20 years um, ago. Uh, it must have been uh, quite a journey. Uh, what are some of the, looking back uh, on that uh, and in that time, what have been some of the uh, the projects that you worked on that really you know, um, come to mind? Oh, there's, there's so many large contracts. Um, some are straightforward, others are extremely complicated. Um, and and we, we have to make sure that we, our, our uh, surveys and our inspections um, are right and we do the right thing. Um, and so much in, and you've alluded to it, I think, really, um, Norman, that uh, recently the market uh, has changed in many ways. Uh, one of them, obviously, the, the Grenfell disaster in London um, had... Uh, effects that perhaps a lot of people didn't see coming. First of all, of course, uh, it gave a potential clients a very different outlook and made them much more concerned about uh, uh, those who they're working with. And of course, from a policy point of view, how has Rooflink responded to, to these changing circumstances? Well, we have got to convince the people we work with if they want this type of lining board that it is perfectly safe because the rental problem was the right, the wrong board was was used in the wrong place, mm. and the boards are quite safe. They're fireproof, and if you use them in the right context, they're fine. And and it's just this paranoia that's developed, isn't it? Because now people associate that with um something that was done incorrectly. Correct. That's a- absolutely right. Yes. Yeah, and and so it really is that the importance I think of communication is is has become so relevant. Um, in terms of though the other side of things, um, it's also seen uh, certainly increased 
regulation uh, and different regulation. Uh, has that, um, in your opinion, Norman, and, and uh, you're pretty qualified to answer this, has the regulation been sound or, or has it been lacking? Uh, well, certainly as far as Grenfell, and I'm, I'm not really qualified to speak about domestic roofing. Um, as far as industrial roofing is concerned, uh, we're, we're quite happy and sure that it, it's the correct material and it's an extremely good material. Good, good. Uh, and now perhaps stepping back from uh, the firm itself and looking more broadly uh, here, Norman, uh, what would you say are the... Uh, major challenges that the sector are facing at the moment? And I mean, perhaps you've already said it, perhaps it is to do with um, a, a cautiousness of investing any money at the moment. Yes, I think it is. We we have a number of quite large contracts which have really been hanging on for the best part of the year or so. I mean, we haven't lost them. It's just that the companies haven't proceeded with them. Now, that is interesting, is it? So, I mean, uh, we're speaking... Uh, the day before, in fact, uh, Britain is uh, due to leave uh, the European Union, and I think, and I think a lot of uh, uh, businesses, as we mentioned earlier, Norman, up and down the country, are really rather hoping that uh, once that happens, um, there will be a general sort of sigh and a sigh of relief that that things are moving on and reinvestment will occur. I'm quite sure it will. Um, I, th- I think really industry for a year has been sitting in limbo, um, not knowing which way to go. You know, um, it, it's, there's very little worse than uncertainty. You don't know whether to invest or not. You don't know whether to develop new products. And you, 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 I think now we know there's going to be difficulties ahead. But I think people are looking forward now to it being resolved. Oh, definitely. And I think uh, the, the important thing as well, whether you voted remain or leave, now almost, you know, four years ago, and gosh, it feels longer actually sometimes, doesn't it? But uh, <laughs> but, it, but people just want to get on with things. Um, yes. And, and, that can, and that's relevant, I think, to uh, whatever sector uh, you work in and whoever... Uh, you work for it's it's become uh, in a way it sucks out all of the oxygen in the room there are so yeah. many other yeah. things to be talking about whether it's education or health or indeed uh, housing and um, industry it's it the government seems to have been completely um, unable to talk about any of those things for so for such a long time now it is yeah it was all the you know, I think a lot of Members of Parliament have looked to answer for with a way that they've obstructed things because it has really had quite a serious effect on us. Mm. No, I, I tell you what, then I'll, I'll put you on the spot here, uh, Norman. Um, let's say um, you're, it's uh, it's a Friday afternoon, uh, just finished lunch, and you for, for two hours you get to become Secretary of State for for a bit. A magic wand, you can introduce any reforms you'd like. Uh, what would you like to see done? You've, you've got this brand new government with a large majority. What would you like to be done? See done, not just for uh, the industry, but indeed uh, the wider country. I think we would like some regulation on late payments, um, tighter controls on customers. Um, I think a lot of small businesses, and we're a small business, 
do suffer from uh, companies delaying payment, you know, maybe five, six months. It, it, it's difficult to get around. It is, and very often, I think, so it would be great if you could explain this, especially for listeners that aren't familiar at all, but uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but very often um, it's very much larger corporations, businesses that are that can be very late in and, and defer these payments. It is, yes, you're right. And it seems very asymmetrical, doesn't it, that you're able to have these very... Uh, 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 powerful, really, businesses uh, take a service off of uh, a smaller one um, and then um, pretend as if it didn't happen for a few months. Yes, yeah. Well, I, I, it, it, it makes life difficult. Oh, certainly almost impossible, and I, especially when you cut when it comes to planning for the future. Exactly. Yeeah, it, it, it does. And, and with all the uncertainty, this is, I think, what has held everybody back. Uh, without a doubt. So I think uh, there will be people nodding quite furiously in agreement with you on that front, Norman. Um, I think that would be a very popular piece of legislation. And who knows? And, and let's just hope perhaps that uh, uh, the ministers now, the new ministers, can, uh, once Brexit is done, uh, can get on with it and we can all move forward together. Um now, um, moving away from Brexit, though, Norman, what's your take at the minute on the on the current political uh, situation? It's it's pretty extraordinary, isn't it? We've had a we've had a national referendum. We've had two res- prime ministers resign, uh, a landslide general election after a hung parliament. I mean, can is this does this compare to anything else you've seen over the last few decades? Not at all. I, th- I think everybody you spoke to was sick to the back teeth of it. It really was. Um, very debilitating. Mm. It never seemed to come to an end. But I think we've got some stability now with uh, the new prime minister, and um, he's—I uh, think he's got a grip on things. He, he might um, be a little foolish at times, but I think he's a, a clever man, and I, I think he'll get us through. Yes, and I, I think uh, whether uh, you agree or disagree with it, I don't see how anyone could not hope that to be true. Um, because uh, it, you're, you're entirely right. Where I think this country, we're pretty mild in our politics, and for the last three and a half years, I think there was just too much of it. I don't think we've ever known a time like it, not in my lifetime anyway, and I'm getting old. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, old woman. Uh, but I, I think it's um, something, the only other relatable uh, bit of time I dare compare it to was probably the... the um, uh, the mid seventies, uh, but I suppose the the great thing is that this time, uh, whereas, and for those of us old enough to remember Norman, when there was a a three day week, when I remember it well, uh, when, yeah. when 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 uh, uh, there were uh, then when there was no electricity, uh, it, at least this time, uh, we've got through it without having. You know, indeed, rubbish piling high in the streets or ambulances being turned away at hospitals. So I suppose there are some upsides this time. Yeah, it's, it's been far better, obviously. Yeah, it, it has. Now, Norman, I'm conscious of the time because, you know, we're, uh, uh, it's catching up with us. Um, but uh, what advice could I ask, would you give to uh, young people, especially, who are looking to start their own careers um, and hopefully, no doubt, be able to work for as long as you have, Norman? <laughs> I think a lot of young people 
want to start at the top rather than the bottom. Um, uh, you know, um, when I, I was starting work, you had apprenticeships and you had training and you worked your way up through the system. You had to. But I do think from young people I speak to, they seem to uh, not want to go into industry, not to want to go into physical things. They want to just sit and watch a computer, you know. And I think that may well be a, a great, um, I think you're true. Uh, it's true, Norman, on so many fronts, and it, it feels as if it's difficult these days to have a you know a technical education, something we used to call it. Um, finding a skill, being able to apply it, uh, 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 and stay with you for life. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And you, you know, you learn these skills. You probably have several jobs when you were young, but each one taught you something. And it, it put you ready for the rest of your life to know what you were doing and where you're going. And I, I think uh, this goes back to, I mean, it's 20 years ago now, I suppose, but uh, we're seeing the the results of it when uh, the then uh, Labour government said that 50% of uh, young people should go to university and no one really said why. Uh, and, and as a result, you're right, we have a lot of... Uh, 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 young people with an awful lot of degrees, uh, but whether they are useful for employment is remains to be seen. Um, and especially when it comes to uh, your sector, Norman, and indeed so many sectors like it. As we leave the European Union, we we have to be so competitive in these arenas, um, and you get the feeling that we've got some catching up to do. Yes, we have. I mean, I don't know whether it's relevant, but. Um, we've got two managed, joint managing directors. Uh, one is uh, Michael you've spoken to. Both of those started with me as apprentices when they virtually left school. And they're in their 50s now. <laughs> and we've stuck, together, we've stuck together through thick and thin, and we still all work together. Uh, isn't that it, it, it's it's a fantastic uh, way of being able to do business? And I can't help but feel that uh, uh, hopefully. Well, there'll be something to come along before long that we can return to doing exactly that again. Now, look, I'm afraid, um, Norman, our, our time really is here now. So I've got to ask, uh, it's the beginning of a new year. Uh, it's 2020. Uh, what are the plans for uh, Roofline going forward? Link, sorry, Roofline <laughs> going forward. <laughs> well, we, we are optimistic that, um, you know, the... Um, Employment is high. We just want the production to rise. And I, I think we're going to outperform the EU the, on the economy side. And I think that would certainly vindicate our leaving if we do that. Oh, absolutely. Well, look, Norman, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, talking uh, with you today. I know we could have gone for longer, but I'm afraid we, are, we have to stop sometime. So uh, it's a pleasure you coming on. And I hope we can speak again. Thank you very much. I hope you all enjoyed Jonathan White's interview with Norman and especially learning more about the challenges facing the sector and how the whole team at Rooflink continues to raise standards. If you've not heard it before, coming up now is Jonathan's conversation with the Parliamentary Review's co-chairman, Eric Pickles. Lord Pickles served as Secretary of State for Communities and Local Government in David Cameron's cabinet before receiving a peerage back in 2018. 
Lord Pickles remains active as the United Kingdom's anti-corruption champion and the special envoy for post-Holocaust affairs. I hope you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking to Eric. Here it is now. Lord Pickles, thank you very much for joining us today. Pleasure. Um, now, I'm sure you won't uh, mind me reminding the listeners that uh, you've been involved in politics, both local and national, for quite a number of decades. Um, indeed, before we, the days we were in the common market. Um, you know, given your experience over those years, um, what thoughts have you had over the last few weeks and months about the current political uh, situation the country finds itself in? situation is quite dire because we have um, a parliament that um, is by and large useless. It's like a bored teenager on a long drive and um, it wants, it knows what it doesn't want and it's so bored with Brexit but it can't agree. So no matter what you put up, it's against it. Are you in favour of a referendum? No, I don't want that. Are you in favour of uh, remaining within the single man? No, I don't want that. Are you in favour of... No, I don't want to do that. No, no. And are you in favour of leaving without a deal? No, we don't want to do that. So it's against everything. But it, there isn't enough votes to be in favour of something. And it could be by the time this, this podcast goes out that, that uh, Boris has uh, started on the process of the bill because we'll be voting on that today. Uh, but even then... What people don't seem to understand, this is not the end of Brexit. This is barely opening the door of Brexit. We've got years of negotiations about about trade agreements, relationships with uh, with Europe, putting uh, putting down pieces of legislation. We get our agriculture, our fisheries, our financial services into place. Brexit is going to go on and on and on and on. And sure on, and on. It. I'm sure we are. Um, now uh, the question is, I, I should actually remind listeners that we are talking on the day that the second reading of the European uh, Act uh, will. Uh, take place. So, as we speak, we don't quite know, as well, perhaps like the government front bench don't know what's going to happen. Um, you compare Parliament to a petulant teenager, what do you do to a petulant teenager to sort it out? Um, is there a chance that it will see sense and push this through this bill without wrecking amendments? Is there a chance it will vote for its own, uh, for a general election? What do you, how do you see this playing out at the moment? The sensible thing would be to put this deal through because I've always been of the view a deal is better than no deal because this is just the beginning. In order to start the process of Brexit, start the process of uh, the United Kingdom taking over powers that it's, uh, it's not really exercised for 40 odd years, the smart thing is to get this thing through now. But in a way, it's not about Brexit itself. If there was a free vote, this deal would have gone through. Mrs May's deal would have gone through. But it's about politics. It's about a Labour Party that thinks it has a chance uh, trying to make the Prime Minister, whether it was Theresa May or Boris Johnson, uh, look as though that they are uh, in office but not in power, of um, delaying as long as possible. There's a lot of talk about... Um, 
an election uh, in the autumn, maybe back end of November, beginning of uh, of December, uh, something for us to look forward to before Christmas, it's beginning to look less likely. It's beginning to look as though they might want to drag it into spring to get as far away as possible um, from the rather decisive moment that uh, Boris came back with a deal. We have to remind ourselves that nobody thought he could deliver um, a deal and it does quite shock them and if you remember all this process went through in order to ensure that we are left without a deal when we have a deal suddenly well no it's not that kind of deal we don't want that kind of deal we want something different I think the vast majority of people in this country whether remain or leave uh, now would be very satisfied for this to come to a um, able conclusion and as correctly just said, uh, because when it does come to those on, in the opposition who claim to want this to work, and then to, uh, uh, introduce writing amendments, they introduce uh, new objections to it, the general public are getting quite frustrated. But you've got to understand that quite a lot of people don't get beyond a small area within Westminster, sometimes cliche referred to as the Westminster bubble and go back to their own patch. Now, by and large, everybody hates their MP, except when they're at home, doing the fairs, doing, you know, uh, wandering around, uh, helping people. So they, in a way, they're cosseted to that great, which I feel is coming in a tsunami of change. I do, uh, of course, MP for Brentwood for... Uh, uh, 25 for, years. Absolutely. Um, what would you, I mean, of course, you... President there as well, despite being a proud option, obviously, representing a good Essex seat. What would you say to your, your old constituents right now? Hang in there, it'll be all right? Well, um, uh, you're, uh, it's different when you're a member of parliament because, you know, you've got to kind of toe the government line a little bit. So one thing i found now is I've got my weekend back and I say what I want. And uh, I think I would say to... Um, our constituents is that it is pretty hopeless down there. Thanks, Mark. On that, uh, I think, uh, honest assessment, it's something I think the Parliamentary Review has always done quite well, talking frankly about problems, issues, and also not just good practice, but leadership. Well, I always used to, I mean, I always used to read it when I was a, a member of Parliament, um, because, I mean, what you want more than anything is you want to meet people with different experiences. Mm. And I've always sort of found... Uh, it quite a, um, uh, a kind of a chatty magazine, but also you would see things that you would not automatically have come across. I certainly have attended um, the receptions over the year, and it's amazing the things you kind of pick up. And I think it's important to stress it's not because uh, uh, politicians are, are, are uninterested, because honestly, as you will know more than anyone, it's an issue of time. And to be able to have a channel uh, and a platform where you can keep communication lines between businesses, schools, and policy makers. It's, it's so exceptionally important. No, I think so, and, you know, and it's important that it's beholding to nobody. People, um, uh, you know, pay for, to be part of the publication, pay for to be uh, um, members, and it's a way of not beholding to government, not beholding to anything. Uh, now, uh, echoing the words, of course, your fellow uh, chairman, uh, Lord Blunkett, has said, uh, so, what well, some might not know, 
uh, is that you started your political journey perhaps even further left than David Blunkett. Oh, absolutely, I was a communist. Now, uh, what, what, uh, what was it? At the age of 14, I got... Uh, I was bought um, the um, <clears throat> Trotsky's History of the Russian Revolution, and I read it from cover to cover. I tried to read it a few years back, and I just couldn't follow anything. Oh, so I was going to say, perhaps you might know the minds of the uh, show front bench better than, better than they do themselves. From my position when I first joined, I would regard them as recalcitrant uh, <laughs> running dogs of the capitalist system. Now, what was it that... that uh, moved you from radical Marxist to running uh, the only uh, inner city council controlled by the Conservatives in the 80s? Well, I was very young and um, I was fascinated by what was happening in um, uh, in what was then Czechoslovakia and uh, Dubček and the, the revolution that was taking place there inside communism and the way in which uh, he was uh, repressed by uh, by, uh, by Mr. Brezhnev, yeah, and the tanks and taking over. I was so angry, and I'm 16, remember, mm. I'm really angry. I thought, what's the most outrageous thing I can do? Um, I will join the, um, I'll join the Conservative Party as a protest. And I kind of sticked around, and my family thought it was the funniest thing that ever happened. Uh, to his, I was Eric the Tory, and um, well, I think you announced this quite grandly as a, as, a, as a grand protest. I did indeed, but um, do you know, I kept going down, and um, it was a it was an exciting time. Um, people were developing the ideas of what the Conservative Party should be. Selsdon man, mm. even Heath looked radical. We had different ideas and just it eventually clicked and at some point I became a conservative and that was 51 years ago I think I'm definitely 100% a Tory now through and through through and through although I do know the story most most uh, people might guess that a, 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 a dynamo conservative like yourself would have perhaps a portrait of uh, Mr. Satchel or Mr. Churchill in their office but who is it that you have at Che um, Guevara, uh, which always, I always had them over my uh, left shoulder for visitors, and they always used to kind of, you see their eyes going up and thinking, who, I can't possibly be. Someone asked me if it was Desi Arnaz, I thought it was married um, <laughs> to Lucille Ball. But no, the reason I, I did that was to remind me and to remind my uh, officials that without constant vigilance, the cigar chomping commies would take over. <laughs> I'm sure David Bunk was in the room to reply to that, actually. Um, but um, in, in, in that long journey, you eventually ended up, of course, in 2010, doing something most Conservatives would never thought they would have to do, but in a coalition government with, the, of all people, the Liberal Democrats. That's right. Now, um, something I think perhaps today more than ever, uh, people and our politics seems to be almost wholly determined um, on how we voted in a referendum three years ago. Yeah, I mean, the most normal thing would happen after something like that mm. would, be the, would be the country would come together. And if anything, we're, we're, we're more divided. I mean, I thought working in the coalition, I'm proud to have been part mm. of that coalition. Um, I'm proud to have worked alongside the Liberal Democrats, who I think realise that, like all minority partners in a, in a coalition, they would suffer at the polls. Do you think we've lost the ability uh, recently as a, as, a, as a people to 
work with those that we might disagree with on, on issues more than we used to. I'm not sure that's right. Um, I mean, you can see various members of the Conservative Party working closely with Liberal Democrats and Labour to defeat their own government. But it's not a thing I think I would want to encourage. Quite. Um, and I, I should remind this that we are calling this the In Victoria, um, just over the road at Cardinal Place, uh, a fantastically new de de development site which wouldn't have been there without some of uh, your uh, legislation. What was the proudest? I, I personally approved it. Absolutely. Um, what was your proudest moment do you think in uh, serving secretary for five years? It's uh, my actual proudest moment. We did a thing called uh, Triple Families, which was the first centre-right uh, attempt to deal with poverty and to deal with um, difficult families that were causing a disproportionately large amount of um, of, of call upon the um, uh, upon the state. And it was on the basis of tough love. It's on the basis of getting people into jobs. It's about dealing with. Uh, uh, the kind of the whole, the family as a whole, not just one or two individuals that, had a, that were having a problem. And I'm pleased that it's continued. Um, and since, I should very much stress, since of course you're uh, stepped down being an MP, you do have your weekends back, but that's not to say you haven't remained very active and very um, uh, busy. Of course, because you're the government's anti corruption uh, champion, shone the harsh light of day over malpractice in the local government. Um, indeed, the Queen's speech. We've just had include some of uh, your recommendations from uh, 2016. Um, I think a couple of things on that. First of all, are you surprised? Um, I may imagine you may not be at some of the backlash towards in this country introducing uh, voter ID for voting. It is absurd, and it's particularly absurd coming from the Labour Party, because it was largely Labour's vulnerability uh, that got my interest in trying to do something about it. And um, it's a bit like saying, you know, you're requiring people to show some ID, uh, that this is suppressing voting. It's a bit like saying the post office is suppressing parcels because they demand to see uh, uh, some ID. I think um, they've got um, uh, a bee into their bonnet that this is something like the good in the state to repress it's not mm. it's about giving confidence to the system now the electoral commission and foreign observers have warned us for such a long time that our electoral system is vulnerable and it's this to misquote um uh, john major we are really sort of old males cycling to even song and, and war bands yeah it's such a basic thing, it's an important thing. And it was kind of interesting uh, in some of the trials. Um, they did um, a focus group with a bunch of uh, young uh, Asian girls. And they said they thought the process of a photo ID would actually give them a greater confidence in the fairness of the system. I met an, met all kinds of uh, recommendations to stop uh, postal fault harvesting, uh, to, to, to stop various fraud taking place, to stop um, intimidation at counts, to stop intimidation outside polling stations. Uh, I think you referenced it earlier, the, the Westminster bubble, a lot of the, the places where this occurs and the places where this does go on are places where perhaps uh, many members, many people in the press don't usually go to 
No, they, no, they don't. Uh, uh, we saw a YouGov poll that said the overwhelming majority, well in the sixty percent, thought this this idea was sensible. Yeah, and I, 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 um, I, I imagine you're quite proud that that recommendation is uh, in the speech. Yes, I mean I'm a bit frustrated they didn't do it sooner, but it's, nevertheless I'm very happy that it, they they are doing it. It's as if the government's time has been taken up by something else, and we've not focused on anything. Yeah, absolutely. But with a man though, with his roots in uh, local government, uh, do you think, and, and how much you've worked with this, with that report, especially looking at them carefully, how would you rate our current state of local municipal politics? Local government's very good. I mean, local government, don't get me wrong, it's, uh, it's by and large corruption free and it, do, it does a remarkably good job. And it was, in truth, my worries about local government and that these measures were brought in. I don't believe the fraud is big enough to be able to take a parliamentary seat, but it is big enough to take a council. And if you are negligent, uncaring about the probity of the poll, you're likely to be equally negligent about the awarding of contracts uh, 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 to your friends. Uh, so it's, it's all passed up. But look, government is, is a very enduring part of our constitution. I got a bit stick because we had to take some money from them, but by and large, they survived very well. Excellent. Now, uh, beyond um, obviously uh, that work, you also, of course, the uh, British envoy for uh, post-Holocaust issues. Yeah, sure. I think very dear to your heart. Um, I know you've done some fantastic uh, work recently, including with uh, a former Shadow Chancellor from the Review, uh, Ed Balls. Um, would you mind, uh, if you could just let the listeners know what projects you are working on with that and, and really the importance that has to so many communities around the country? Well, I used to be very unpleasant about Ed Ball and he used to be very unpleasant about me, but I found working with him uh, remarkably easy and we've not had a, a single row in two years and by now we're beginning to be able to, re, to finish each other's sentences. We're building a, a memorial to the Holocaust uh, next to Parliament uh, with a learning centre below it and the reason why the Prime Minister chose that site is that um, it was David Cameron and he wanted to ensure that when people left the memorial they would look and see Parliament and recognise that he was the last bastion against tyranny. But more important, to remind people who work in Parliament that, that the legislature has a choice. It can either protect its citizens or it can oppress its citizens. And we do know that, um, uh, that it was a compliant legislature that brought in the Nuremberg uh, laws. And at a time when there are parts of Europe that are seeking to rewrite their history and seeking to see themselves as only the victims of the Nazis, I'm determined that we should tell the truth in an unblinking uh, way. Um, we are, I suppose, at a critical crossroads when the last survivor is likely to uh, be no longer with us within the next decade and a half. And at that point, we do know that um, uh, history starts to be reassessed. I think it was Simon Sharma that, that talked about this. And he was referring to the French Revolution. And of course, most of the books written in the 1850s are the ones that have uh, shaped um, our view of the French Revolution. 
But the difference is this, that uh, slightly over 100 years ago, my grandfather, Edgar, Mm. grabbed hold of his Lee Enfield and walked out of a trench in the Somme and walked towards um, the Germans. And within a few minutes, uh, most of the people who had been brought up with, most of his friends were dead. Nobody doubts they did that. But there's a whole industry out there that doubts that the Holocaust took place. So that's why it's important that we help frame that narrative. And uh, any reference as well, it's, it's, it's so important, especially at this, this time, this time of history, so many years afterwards, that uh, people, young people in schools get the correct education about it. How do we compare as a country in doing that compared to some of our European friends? We're, we, um, I think, compare remarkably well, uh, uh, particularly because we've got a mixture of things. Uh, we, ins- we ensure through the lessons of Auschwitz that two pupils from every secondary school go to Auschwitz each year, uh, that they have a preliminary meeting, uh, a visit and a, a wrap-up. We ensure that um, Holocaust Day um, uh, is remembered in January, and I can remember starting that. Uh, or I'm not starting it, but being part uh, of a foot soldier of people that put it together. And you know, it was like one man and a dog, but now it's quite a, a massive, it's, it's a massive um, event. So I think we are quite good at remembering that. I think where we perhaps do need to have a wider understanding is beyond the death counts. And we need to kind of understand uh, the Anstatt Gruppen, which was the roving murder squads, um, how um, important they were. You were more likely to have been shot in a ditch than to end up in a, in a death camp. Um, and uh, they, the interland of that is Lithuania, where I was uh, last week uh, talking to colleagues and through, through Belarus and the Ukraine. And it's really important that we ensure that we we register where those death sites are. And I think uh, certainly, uh, and I'm going to sit down next to speak, which hopefully won't be too uh, long away. It's and I think we'd be very happy to, to keep updates on how that how that project is going because it's so important. And people do need to be aware of it. Um, looking to the future, though, um, I imagine we're actually very uh, content and happy. Former Prime Minister, friend and colleague David Cameron just released. You spoke and you came you're quite unscathed from it. I can't. It was very nice about yes. it. Um, I even bought the audio version because he was reading it, and he obviously, yeah, you know, but there was a fair bit of affection, and and, yes. and I'm rather glad they left out one or two of the other embarrassing things. <laughs> Maybe another time. Yeah. Um, but um, it's um, important, I think. Uh, I'm conscious of the time, so but I'm, I think it's important that today people have become so perhaps um, caught up in what's happening in this country regarding Brexit. Um, looking to the future, how would you, and what would you say that it's a positive thing that, that this country has to look forward to? Well, we're a large trade, we're a large trading nation, we're a large uh, economy, we're a liberal uh, uh, democracy, and it would be good to get through uh, Brexit over the coming years and it would be good to start to look at some of the social issues uh, that we need to tackle. Those have been left behind uh, by our economic uh, uh, progress and it would be 
good to see some solid investment in this country, both in terms of its infrastructure, but also in, in terms of the way it operates as a democracy. And I know that it can be a huge focus of the next review. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. As always, it has been a pleasure both listening to and learning from our guests. I and Jonathan White hope you all enjoyed listening. Until next time, Jonathan and I are now off to the Westminster Arms to raise a glass to raising standards. Or at least we would be if the pubs weren't all closed due to the COVID-19 outbreak. So in this instance, Jonathan's front room is just going to have to do. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can find every episode on iTunes, YouTube and Spotify. The views expressed by each guest in the podcast are their own. They do not represent the opinions of the Parliamentary Review, Westminster Publications, Lord Pickles, Lord Blunkett, David Curry, or any other guest on the podcast. If you'd like to know more about the Parliamentary Review, please visit www.theparliamentaryreview.co.uk.